the headline coming out of that was that the worst is yet to come. So not what you want to hear from global uh, central bankers. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. On Tuesday, the International Monetary Fund released its biannual World Economic Outlook. In today's episode, Portfolio Managers Winnie Jang, Chris McKinney, and your host, Mackenzie Box, analyze the stark global growth forecast. They also discuss the OPEC Plus decision to cut oil production, renewable energy, cash-like vehicles, and slump concerns in Canadian housing. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insights Podcast, featuring our team of experts. I'm your host today, Mackenzie Vox, VP of Product and Strategy at BMO Global Asset Management. First off, I want to thank everyone for tuning in and taking the time to listen to our podcast. With me today, I have two of our portfolio managers, Chris McKinney and Winnie Zhang. So thanks so much, Chris and Winnie, for joining us today. Now let's dive into the questions. The first question that came in this week was focused in on oil, and we've seen a lot of this in the news recently. And with last week, OPEC uh, decided to limit the production, uh, which pushed oil to a five-week high. Given this reduction, what are your thoughts on the BMO Equal Weight Oil and Gas Index ETF, ZEO? Chris, we'll turn this one to you. Sure, and certainly energy, uh, very topical uh, conversation uh, piece over the last couple of weeks or so. I think we talked about it on the podcast even last week. Um, but with this additional news uh, coming out of OPEC, you know, certainly this raises the, the geopolitical um, you know, concerns that are already rising on a, on a global basis. Um, you know, going back to last week, OPEC Plus um, essentially cut their oil production by 2 million barrels a day, a day, or announced they will cut their production by 2 million barrels a day. Uh, for reference, you know, that's about 2% of global oil demand. So it's a, it's a decent amount uh, to be sure. Um, and yeah, I think one other thing to just mention here is that OPEC Plus does include Russia. Um, and so probably a significant motivation there uh, by that group to maintain higher energy prices, to maintain pressure on other parts of the world. Um, OPEC came out with a, with a statement, you know, essentially forecasting a, a big global slowdown um, that, would, that would be expected to reduce oil demand overall and creating softness in prices. And this was sort of their justification for, for cutting demand to begin with. Um, you know, and certainly, you know, we do see a global slowdown coming and, and we'll, we'll get to um, some implications of that a little bit later as well. Um, but certainly we've seen, you know, energy prices remain relatively stable um, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the wake of that announcement. If we take a look at, um, you know, the futures curve for oil, and again, this is something we've talked about a lot recently, you know, we do see a, a pretty tight market in energy over the next, call it, year or two and of course, a lot of that does have to do with the constraints uh, placed on Europe, um, uh, given their, their reliance on Russian oil and gas and their, their 
movement away from that. Um, but, you know, we have seen the oil prices somewhat sell off over the last month or so. And I'm looking again at the futures curve here. And maybe there, that's in anticipation of a global slowdown a little bit. But if you take a look out over the next year or two, we still are at pricing at around $75 a barrel. And this is for uh, WTI you know, through the end of 2023 and $70 still through the end of 2024. So even in the face of um, you know, expected slowdown in global demand, we do see oil prices maintaining above $70 or at least expected to by the market um, over the next year or two. And as we've discussed before, um, you know, Canadian oil producers can be um, uh, fairly cash flow positive uh, when oil prices are at that level. So ZEO, um, you know, interesting spot that that fund is in right now. Um, it's up 28% year to date, um, but also down about 20% from its recent high. So there's been a little bit of a roller coaster with ZEO so far this year, um, but certainly some positive growth we've seen on the back of higher uh, oil prices overall. Again, we think energy is a, is in a tight market this year um, through the winter. Um, you know, it is largely a regional market, but does have global implications. They, the regional markets are essentially all tied to each other. And so, um, you know, tightness in Europe does lead to tightness in other parts of the uh, energy market globally as well. So, you know, for investors, I think looking over the next year or two that want to participate in this space, in this sector, we think ZEO makes a lot of sense. You know, that does provide exposure to Canadian oil producers. And again, with higher energy prices, um, we think the Canadian oil producers um, stand to benefit from that. For investors, you know, maybe looking out a little bit longer, um, I might want to just reference ZCLN as well, our, our clean energy ETF. And again, this is more of a long term, we've called it mega trend in the past, um, but that energy transition that is going to have to take place to some degree um, over the long term. And really, again, this is, this is going to be driven by Europe in the face of, um, you know, trying to move away from dependence on Russian oil and gas. Um, you know, it's really the renewable space that uh, Europe is really trying to uh, build out capacity on. And so we think over the long term, of course, this takes time to do, uh, but over the long term, uh, a fund like ZCLN giving exposure to those cleaner energy sources um, could be a, a decent area for growth. Um, so again, uh, shorter term focus, you probably want to look at ZEO for exposure to the energy space. And then that longer term focus, again, more growth oriented. Uh, but potentially, um, you know, a lot of volatility in the short term, given the long term nature uh, of some of those uh, equities within ZCLN. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for the update. I think that's something that's definitely very topical and taking a short term and longer term view, I think, is, uh, is very interesting for investors right now. Amid rising interest rates and market volatility, Consider BMO's top three ETFs yielding over 5%. The BMO Canadian High Dividend Covered Call ETF, ticker ZWC, features solid historical dividend growth. The BMO Covered Call Canadian Bank's ETF, ticker ZWB, invests solely in Canadian financials, presenting an attractive valuation opportunity. Or the BMO Covered Call Utilities ETF, ticker ZWU, provides exposure to an equal-weight portfolio of utilities, telecoms, and pipeline companies. To learn more, visit bmoatfs.ca and search for tickers ZWC, ZWB, 
and ZWU. So moving on to our next question, Winnie, we'll, uh, we'll shift gears into uh, this, throw this one to you. Uh, we continue to see investors flock to cash and cash alternatives. And I think that's something we're seeing in the news quite a bit right now. BMO's ZST has been a beneficiary of this, and there has been strong growth in AUM year to date. Why are we seeing retail and institutional investors choosing ZST over other cash alternatives in the marketplace? Thank you, Mackenzie. And that's a great question. So I agree with you that lately we definitely see a lot of demands for cash-like products. In fact, we saw close to 315 million net inflow year-to-date for our BMO Ultra Short-Term Bond ETF, ZST. So in a risk-off environment, and you know, as inflation continues to weigh on the market, uh, investors tend to think a little bit more defensively as they expect to see some volatilities in their core portfolio returns. And it's very common to see inflows in this type of product as people look to shorten their uh, portfolio duration and maybe park some money away for the time being and wait for the uh, volatility to subside. However, remember that not all cash-like vehicles are created equal. So while it's important to um, find the right products that allow you to reduce that overall risk exposure, investors should not have to give up liquidity and yield just to achieve that shorter duration. So we see ZST as a better product than most like, you know, like the uh, savings account ETFs and GICs out there. The fund buys T-bills and investment grade corporate bonds that are mainly A-rated or above. And the fund is very well diversified, giving clients exposure to more than a handful of industries and sectors. Um, the portfolio has the like, average duration of less than half a year. So it protects you from that credit risk and term risk as rates continue to trend up. It's also very liquid with no lockup period, like many traditional uh, GICs do. That means um, investors can adjust their fixed income exposure agilely as the market moves. On top of that, the fund has a yield of more than 4% right now, which is really attractive when you compare that to most cash-like instruments um, outside. So, and also, you know, if you look at the holdings of the ZST, um, all bonds in the funds are held until maturity. So as rates continue to move up, bonds are purchased at a lower price. And, you know, that means with a higher yield. These bond prices will move up over time and ultimately mature apart. That means in a rising rate environment, the yield to maturity on ZST would naturally increase along with interest rates, unlike you know, most of the fixed rate GICs where um, your yields locked in at the time of purchase. And as I mentioned, the fund holds some T-bills. So that really serves as, as like a liquidity mechanism for the fund. These tables are super liquid. So by including them in the portfolio, it enhances the overall liquidity and provides that to investors whenever it's needed the most. In fact, for example, over the last few months, we saw an increase in number of like large institutional trades. And I'm talking about like hundreds of millions here. As these clients um, use the fund to reallocate their fixed income exposure. 
those large trades had minimum like a uh, minimal um, market impact, if any at all, and incur very little trading costs. I think that really demonstrates ZST has superior liquidity versus other less liquid cash-like vehicles. And if you look at the shape, the current shape, the uh, yield curve, uh, which is kind of flattish and even a little bit inverted, and if you again look at like the yield uh, ZST, you will find it's kind of similar to other part of the curve. So to me, it doesn't make much sense to you know take on additional uh, duration right now, since you can actually achieve similar yield with less than 0.5 year in duration. So all in all, I think um, ZST is a great complement to your uh, core fixed income portfolio because it enables you to shorten your overall duration, um, provide you with an attractive yield while allowing you to remain nimble in the volatile market. Thanks, Winnie. I think that's uh, that's a great answer. And I think it's important to think about not all cash vehicles are the same and always look under the hood when you're looking at different products and when you're comparing them. Next, we're going to move to the third question. Uh, With current inflation levels and recent announcements on interest rates, there are concerns and headlines circulating around a global slowdown. And I think, Chris, you alluded to this earlier. In these times, what are some of the sectors that can withstand these markets? Yeah, that's a a great question and probably a growing concern from investors as well as we uh, move through the end of 2022 and and hopefully near the end of uh, the rate hiking cycle and into 2023. Um, Let's just take a look at where we are in that rate hiking cycle, first of all. Um, with the U.S. in particular, the Fed, uh, U.S. Federal Reserve, two more meetings uh, before the end of 2022. And right now, what's priced into markets is an expectation for a 75 basis point hike and followed by a 50 basis point hike. Uh, so another 125 basis points of tightening before the end of 2022. Um, and then maybe one or two more um, 25 basis point hikes in 2023 depending where we're looking at or or what time frame we're looking at. So, you know, somewhere around that four and a half percent terminal rate is is what the market is currently pricing in for expectations for the U.S. Here in Canada, also two more uh, meetings before the end of the year. We're expecting a 50 basis point hike and a 25 basis point hike out of the Bank of Canada in terms of what the market is pricing in right now with maybe one more hike in 2023. we're looking at about a four and 4.25% terminal rate in Canada. So really over 4% for both of these uh, economies and probably the two leading economies in terms of getting those interest rates um, moved up uh, to begin with. You know, I think uh, Europe and the UK will be following suit, but mostly through 2023 with a lot of uh, rate hikes priced into those markets as well, um, still to come. And so, this is where we're looking at in terms of inflation. You know, hopefully we are near the end of that rate hiking cycle. Um, but certainly um, in terms of, you know, what the market is expecting out of these central banks, um, no slowing down in terms of rate hikes um, for, the, for the immediate future anyway. And so, you know, I think that the message is clear from central banks that they are going to continue hiking regardless of what the, the, the global economic uh, sort of forecast is. Coupled with this, the IMF uh, recently came out with their global or an update to their global growth expectations for 2023. And, you know, the headline coming out of that was that the worst is yet to come. So 
not what you want to hear from uh, uh, from from global uh, central bankers. Um, but certainly in terms of the economy and the impact higher interest rates are going to have on the economy, uh, we think 2023 is probably going to be um, where that starts to uh, starts to take effect. In terms of that IMF um, global growth expectations, you know they're now projecting 2.7% global growth in 2023. That would be the slowest pace in about 20 years, you know, outside of um, you know the great financial crisis and then the the, the, the COVID um, sell-off in 2020. Um, but certainly a significant slowdown from where we've seen the last 20 years or so. Um, in addition. Um, they called out the energy crisis in Europe, and this is, again, something we've been talking about already here today, indicating the energy crisis in Europe is not transitory and is, in fact, a permanent thing. Um, they've also indicated that winter of 2023 could actually be worse than winter of 2022 for European energy. So significant slowdown expected in a lot of places. I think, you know, whether um, certain economies reach a recession or not is almost beside the point. Um, I think what we are, are almost sure of is that there is going to be a, a significant slowdown in economic activity globally. So let's take a look at some of the sectors that tend to do well in that type of environment. And the first one that really comes to mind, of course, is consumer staples. Um, and, you know, BMO's ETF offering in this space, um, STPL is the ticker, provides exposure to global consumer staples companies uh, with a hedge, a currency hedge back to Canadian dollars. And so the companies in, in, that make up this ETF and this index, you know, companies like Procter & Gamble, Nestle, Coca-Cola and Pepsi, uh, Unilever, Diageo. Um, so again, these sort of large, uh, well-known uh, brands and companies um, that deliver these consumer staples, um, you know, on a global basis, really, not just in North America, but globally. Um, and really, this is the one sector that, you know, tends to do well, even in the face of a, a, a global slowdown or, or a recession, you know, think about the products that these companies create. And these are the type of products um, that consumers need to buy day in and day out, regardless of what's happening elsewhere in the world. You know, think about cleaning products, food, you know, basic food staples and things like that. Um, you know, these are things that people buy um, day in and day out. The other um, interesting element here is that these companies tend to have a little bit of pricing power. So if they are facing inflationary pressures uh, from their costs, they tend to be able to pass that on to consumers as well. So you know, margins, you know, probably not as much at risk as maybe other parts or, or, or other sectors uh, of the economy. And so when you think about, again, um, you know, what sort of uh, consumer behavior we can expect, um, you know, a shift to those staples or not even a shift, but maybe a slowdown in other areas and continued demand for staples, uh, we think is probably a, a decent place for investors to look. Um, you know, if we look so far in 2022, this ETF is down, you know, less than 10%, you know, call it about eight and a half percent, depending, um, you know, what your time frame is. Um, you know, certainly not, um, you know, ideal in terms of growth, but when you compare it to other global benchmarks that are down 20, 25 and 30%, um, you can see the defensive characteristics of this sector. So, you know, on a go forward basis, you know, recognizing that this this market is already down here in 2022, um, we think for investors looking to play a global slowdown, a shift or a tilt towards that staple sector um, is probably uh, the best bet for investors. Great. Thanks, Chris. And I think uh, 
definitely seems like things uh, globally, we might see a bit of a slowdown, but it's great to see that there are lots of solutions out there to help withstand uh, that, that kind of market. Does market volatility have you wondering where to go to ride out the storm? Not all cash equivalents are created equal, and BMO's money market and ultra-short-term bond ETFs offer several high-quality options to park client cash. To learn more, visit bmoetfs.ca and search for tickers ZMMK, ZST, and ZUS, or read our latest product insights. Next question that came in is for you, Winnie. As some investors look to de-risk their fixed income, we are continually hearing interest in BMO Canadian MBS index ETF, ticker ZMBS. Why are investors looking at this ETF in particular in this market? And as well, can you talk about the Canadian market for MBS as a whole, and if investors should be concerned about the potential housing slump we're seeing in Canada. Yeah, absolutely. So ZMBS is the first of its kind in Canada. So with volatilities increase and the Bank of Canada continue to combat inflation by raising interest rates, I see ZMBS as another great parking spot for investors who look to de-risk their overall um, income streams. ZMBS buys NHA 975 MBS pools, provides exposure to five-year fixed single-family residential mortgages that typically amortize over a period of um, 25 years. So, you know, the key here is that these underlying mortgage pools are all AAA rated because they're explicitly guaranteed by the CMHC, uh, which is the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation and which is actually fully backed by the federal government. So there's no um, credit risk, and it means that it offers protection to the downside versus um, credit products. On top of that is that MBS um, offers a nice yield pickup versus short-term federal government bonds at a average yield premium of um, approximately 25 basis points. And with an average duration of two and a half years, it really fits the theme of um, reducing that overall interest rate risk in the portfolio in a rising rate environment. And so moving on to the second part of your question on that whether investors should be concerned about a potential housing market slump in Canada and its potential impact on instead MBS. Well, the short answer is no. I think um, CMHC-backed mortgages are often misunderstood by investors in Canada in the Canadian market, Um, mostly, I think, due to the events back in um, 2007, 2008 in the U.S. But in reality, the differences between the U.S. uh, MBS and the CMHC-backed Canadian MBS are huge in many ways. So you aren't really comparing apple to apple when you compare the instrument from two sides of the border. And here are a few differences I like. I want to highlight. Um, first of all, Canada has much higher lending standard than that of the U.S., so that itself ups the quality of these uh, mortgage pools. Also, there's no mortgage-based speculative derivative um, instruments in Canada, such as CDOs, which is kind of part of the uh, root cause of the financial crisis uh, back in the 07-08 um, uh, period. 
So therefore, by definition, the Canadian MBS market is much more stable than the U.S. And lastly, I think it's the most um, important difference is that all MBS pools in ZMBS actually have two layers of guarantees. First, by the issuer, and second, by the CMHC, which is again backed by the federal government. And that's not the case for uh, U.S. MBS. What that means is that um, when someone defaults on their uh, mortgage, the issuer will step in and cover all interest and pay, uh, principal payments. And in case of the issuer ever like encounter uh, financial difficulties or if it's about to default, that means like you know the CMHC will step in and guarantee all timely principal and interest payments. So because of these explicit guarantees, um, investor of ZMBS will never feel the impact of any potential housing market slump and mortgage default. Um, in summary, I see uh, ZMBS as a perfect um, defensive uh, complement to your portfolio to uh, move away from that credit exposure and hence your yield while de-risking as a whole. Great. Thanks, Winnie. Thanks for that update. And I think that's something that we're definitely seeing investor interest in, uh, given the current state of the markets. So that's all the questions for today. So I want to thank uh, everyone for tuning in and taking the time to listen to our podcast. And I'd also like to thank Chris and Winnie for their uh, update today and providing some good insights in the market. Thank you to Mackenzie Box, Winnie Jang, and Chris McKinney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Ultra Short-Term Bond ETF, ticker ZST, which offers an attractive yield, protection against rising rates, enhanced liquidity, and no lockup period. Our experts also discussed the BMO Global Consumer Staples Hedge to Canadian Dollar Index ETF, ticker STPL, staple, which invests in global consumer staple companies such as Coca-Cola, Unilever, and Nestle. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.